All right. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us at our third or fourth virtual coffee break. Um, back by popular demand, we will be adding May sessions, so stay tuned for some communications on what will be happening on Fridays at 11.30 a.m. in May. So I just want to get that housekeeping out of the way. Dan and I are currently working on that agenda. Um, and for those of you who are on today, we will be talking about lease clauses. I'm super excited to have Julie Appleton, who is part of our Realogy Council, on with us today. And um, Dan, if you would like to say a few words before we begin, the floor is yours. I will absolutely say just a couple of words because we really want to hear from Julie. Uh, so I just got to chat. I've been emailing with Julie and we just got to chat a few moments ago. She's our in-house counsel along with one other person that handles leasing for Realogy. I think she told me this morning they, they administer more than 1,100 leases. So that's a lot of lease negotiations, as you can imagine. Um, so she's, and she also background, Julie, but I believe you said you were uh, in-house counsel also for uh, lendings and things. So you actually have that, you know, in that uh, uh, commercial real estate experience that I'm sure a lot of us value. Um, the only other thing I'll say is I've been, I've been listening to a lot of uh, webinars and so forth and talking about all the different clauses and leases that are coming into play. And I'm sure many of you that represent landlords and tenants are dealing with different kinds of claims. So we're really interested and uh, eager to hear from Julie as to uh, what are kind of the most important things to think about. I told Julie, I said, most brokers pay attention to the business points in the lease and then they lose interest and give it to the attorneys. And this is a time when all that other stuff you don't pay attention to at least comes into play. All those clauses that we really just kind of take as for granted. So Julie, I think um, without further ado, over to you. Sure, thanks Dan. Um, just to give a little bit more background, I actually have been doing this for almost 20 years. I started on the business side at Starbucks headquarters out in Seattle in the 90s and um, then went to Linens and things. And I have done some landlord side work as well. I, I used to rep Vernado and um, a couple smaller regional landlords when I was in private practice. So um, leasing has been a pretty significant part of my life for the past well, 20 years or so. So um, I just wanted to touch base with some of the things that we're dealing with in COVID-related, the COVID-related landscape with leases right now. And um, to share with everyone the, the general consensus that I'm hearing out there in the commercial leasing legal world, which is there are no clear legal answers to any of this right now. Um, I'm sure that doesn't come as a surprise to anyone on the call, but um, some of the things that we are looking at are tenants who are looking for legal reasons not to pay their rent and to uh, recover their loss. And the big legal theories for tenants in terms of rent abatement right now are force majeure, frustration of purpose or impossibility, and state and local laws. In general, force majeure is not going to be a winning argument for tenants to, uh, to not pay rent. It is a very high threshold that you have to meet before you can prove that it is absolutely impossible and what happened to you was absolutely unpredictable and therefore you cannot pay rent. Um, I don't, I, I think the consensus is that that is not going to be a legally viable argument. Frustration of purpose and impossibility are two arguments that kind of go hand in hand, and they may actually be, um, they 
it may actually be more reasonable arguments for a landlord to make, or for a tenant to make. So uh, for frustration of purpose to work, and you don't need a specific lease clause that talks about frustration of purpose. This is just, just a general legal theory. Um, the fundamental reason for both parties to enter into the lease has to be, quote, frustrated by an unanticipated circumstance. So that circumstance would make performance impossible. I think that tenants like movie theater tenants and health club tenants are going to be able to make this case because they have they they are being specifically banned by state and local laws and again you have to look at the state and local law and see what the stay at home order actually says and they are being told that they cannot operate their entire purpose is frustrated so they may be able to make a case to get out of rent or other leasehold obligations because of that um i think for other tenants you know um Essential retail obviously is not going to be able to make that case. Supermarkets aren't going to be able to make that case. Some retailers may be able to make that case, but you may get some pushback from landlords who are saying, well, you could do shipping out of that business or you had back offices in that, in that location. So there'll be some back and forth, but it, it's, a, it's a viable opportunity for people. In terms of state and local laws, you really have to look at them very closely. I've had a lot of people come to me and say that the state law says that rent is abated or that evictions are on hold. And then when you dive into the law, it really only applies to a certain segment of the population. It applies to people with an, a certain employee count or a certain net revenue. It doesn't apply across the board. So that you have to be very careful when relying on that. You might even have to reach out to an attorney, but just read them all carefully and make sure that they actually apply to the specific scenario. Another thing that both landlords and tenants are looking at is to try to recover some loss through insurance. I think there is a growing minority theory out there that this may be considered an insurable event. I don't know how certain that will be to play out. Um, I mean, right now people are talking about it's an insurable event for purposes of cleanup if you've had a COVID exposure. Um, but that is probably the only scenario that you're going to have some sort of slam dunk insurance claim that will even make it through a threshold in a court. And then you have to look at your deductible. I mean, how, how much is this really going to be insured? Um, Basically, I think what most people are saying from a tenant side is that this is a workout opportunity for your lease. For landlords, you may have another, another way to recover. Um, landlords may be able to use a legal strategy called a temporary regulatory taking. I'm seeing a lot more people talk about this now. If there have been state and local laws put in place, that have prevented your tenants from actually accessing the premises or for using the premises the way they originally intended, you may be able to make an argument that this is almost like an eminent domain, that the government has actually taken your revenue, taken your property and prevented it from being used for the intended use. There have been a lot of challenges to the, um, the legal standard for this. It's called the Penn, the Penn Federal case. It's about a 60 year old case. About three years ago, there were two challenges that made it all the way to the Supreme Court. 
the, the standard still applies, but it's been criticized. My guess is that with all the COVID regulations and all the fallout from this current COVID economy, we're gonna see another challenge to this. And I think it may be a good vehicle for landlords eventually to actually recover. Um, other than that, I, I think some of the things that I would talk about when you're working out leases are kind of the pitfalls that you may be seeing. Um, you have to be careful if you stop paying rent that you will go into default. If you go into default unilaterally without talking to your landlord, without starting a, a process of negotiation before you stop paying rent, you're going to have all the pitfalls that occur in every default. You may incur late fees, you may incur interest charges, you may lose your right to exercise options down the line. If you do a workout and do an amendment with these landlords, you're going to have to address that this was not a default situation, that your options are retained, that there are no late fees incurred. Um, you may have issues with subtenants. If you default on your master lease and you have a subtenant in place, that's going to default with the subtenant. Can that subtenant seek indemnification from any ramifications from that default? They may be able to. You may lose your security deposit if you're a tenant. If you have a letter of credit out, there are a whole number of issues. Uh, if you are a landlord that you have to consider when drawing down on a letter of credit from a tenant. If a tenant looks like they are going to go bankrupt and you as landlord draw down on that letter of tenant, letter of credit to recover, a bankruptcy judge may later say that that is a tenant asset and put that money that you drew down, claw back that money and dispose of it in the bankruptcy court rather than just allowing you to keep it. So there are a variety of pitfalls that you have to weigh when making decisions about putting a, a tenant in default or going into default as a tenant and stopping paying rent um, as a result of this COVID situation. In short, I don't think there's a, a slam dunk legal answer, but I think we can work through some major pitfalls in the leases when we talk about how to work things out. Super, super interesting. There's so many nuances of this. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, Julie, if I could just ask, and I know there's a question already in the chat and, and Christina, right? People can write in chat or you can unmute in a moment. Yeah, you can unmute build yourself it, raise your hand. and call it out loud or yeah. exactly. Um, <clears throat> how, um, so if it, it's I know not necessarily, I was going to ask just one quick thing. So it's not necessarily up to the landlord, right? Because the landlord may be beholden to the uh, lender. So how does this work with the landlord? You know, the landlord might say, um, you know, I'm willing to defer this rent for payment later or forgive this rent. But in what cases is that something that the landlord or the lender needs to approve? I mean, it, it really depends what the, what your mortgage or credit facility looks like. Um, Maybe there, there's a couple things. A, a landlord may be able to go directly to their lender and ask for some sort of relief. There are certain laws in certain states in place that either require the, the lender to give some sort of relief or strongly suggest or encourage lenders to give relief. Um, what that relief looks like, it could be a forbearance, which will require a, a lump sum due at the end of a, a set relief period. It could be an extension of the loan. Um, 
there may be nothing that the, again, this is a, a cooperative situation. There may be nothing that the lender wants to is required to do by law, but a lender is not going to want to take on foreclosing on commercial property in the current situation. So you, you've got to look at it like that. You've got to look at it as if a lender is really going to be more open to negotiation because of the current situation. And I would advise landlords that are in difficult situations to a look at the law that applies in their state at that point in time and b go back to their lender and try to work out those loans. Um, the one thing I will say about credit facilities right now, both landlord and tenants have, have certain credit facilities that may, um, you know, that may stop landlords and tenants from accessing lines of credit if there are major defaults, material adverse conditions. If your, your client has a situation where they have a credit facility, a line of credit that has one of these material adverse conditions clauses in it, you really have to work with your lender no matter what you're doing in terms of doing a lease workout because they will have to know upfront and you have to ensure upfront that this is not going to be a default or materially adverse condition under that facility. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So I'll go to the question in the chat and then Bruce will come to you next. Um, Scott had asked to those few tenants that are in the lease negotiation process, how do any of the reasons you spoke about to apply to new leases and how does a tenant guard against a relapse of the virus in the fall or winter? So uh, one of the ways that I've been doing this um, in terms of the, the relapse is to tailor my force majeure provision to specifically include pandemic. And I now say in my force majeure provisions, if there is a pandemic, that requires by law, ordinance, rule, regulation that the tenant will be shut down. This will be considered a force majeure for financial reasons. As many of us know in commercial leasing, force majeure provisions typically exclude a tenant's requirement to comply with with payment of rent. So you really have to make a specific carve out for this. I, I can't say that landlords have been particularly receptive to it, but it, they're going to have to, again, it's a cooperation situation in the COVID economy. They're going to have to be open to the fact that this is gonna happen. Um, and tenants are gonna be less likely to wanna sign now if they don't have some protection in the future. Um, again, I think it's, this is a moving target. I mean, things are gonna change. I don't know how it's going to shake out, but right now what I'm looking to is force majeure to, to address that. Um, in terms of lease negotiations now, when we're talking about new leases where we're going to take possession in the near term, you really need to make sure that you're crystal clear on your rent commencement date. Your rent doesn't commence until the landlord can deliver and you can open for business. I think you have more negotiation room if you can't if you can't actually open for business initially because of a COVID-related law than you would if you're opening and you have to close. Thanks, so Scott. Yeah, and Bruce, your line is unmuted. I know your hand was raised. Yeah, I just. I'm not an attorney, but I'm going through a 
situation right now where a tenant has expressed, well, stated, demanded that they're not paying rent. And we've been advised the, to do a couple of the following in order to help them assure us that they actually are in financial need and it's not just urban legend. Um, and so we've asked them if they have applied for PPP. There's no money anymore, but nonetheless, um, if they've gone through any municipal programs requesting any funding. As an example, the city of Chicago came out with, I think, a $10 million uh, funding program to help small businesses under a certain number of employees or a certain dollar volume to keep them afloat. But again, this is helping landlords try and counter the automatic request. Um, have they applied for business interruption insurance? And last, they all should sign an NDA or a confidentiality because you don't want to give a single tenant a concession and then have them turn around and tell everybody else in the building. So just trying to give some other uh, feet on the street activity to all of you. Great, thanks for that. That's, yeah, some interesting twists there, I guess. Julie, what, do, what right does a landlord have to demand evidence of their financial system? And it could be a residential tenant or a commercial tenant. And um, that's one question, I think. Uh, and can, they, can, can a landlord condition that in the event you receive money from one of the government programs, be it city or federal, that allows, I think one of the programs, I think 25% or something could go towards like operating expenses. I can't remember which program it was, but couldn't the landlord in a lease concession negotiation say, in the event you get these funds, you must pay us first, kind of like we have the first right? Sure, I think both of those things go back to uh, kind of the problems surrounding this whole COVID lease issue and that there's no laws specific to either of those those questions. Sure, a landlord can request anything that they want to request. Most landlords will request significant financial information from a tenant um, when they're entering into the lease, often when they're extending the lease, and often if a landlord is looking to assign or sublet, they're going to request, you know, what they typically call reasonable financial information. Um, I see no reason that would prevent a landlord from doing the same, and I think it would be prudent for a landlord to do the same. Um, in doing a lease work at, a, at the present time. And uh, I, to your point, I, I see no problem with the landlord um, conditioning their conditioning their agreement to any sort of lease workout to getting a cut of whatever economic benefit that the tenant might get from applying to a government program. It's, it's all fairly, fairly business based at this point. There's no, there's no law in place saying that can't happen or it should happen. Makes sense. Thanks, Bruce, too. Yeah. Any other questions or thoughts? Um, Douglas, I know you're, let me find you. I know your hand is raised. Where are you? Here we go. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Yes, we can. So I represent both landlords and tenants. Um, the question that's come up mostly from landlords um, is specifically, can we just let the lease ride as it stands? And if a tenant doesn't pay, we just enforce the lease like we've always done prior to this event? Or do we need to take special actions and special go down a special path because of the event? 
So in general, you need to do exactly what you would do to enforce the lease. Um, document, document, document. If you're going to default your tenant, absolutely do it in the, the way that you would do before. I would advise a certain sensitivity in any of your written communications to the current situation, because if the ultimate result is that this gets in front of a judge for an eviction, uh, judges are going to be very, I mean, they're, they're human and they're going to be very cognizant of what is going on in the current climate and uh, cognizant of the fact that every, every ruling at this point in COVID commercial leasing world or, or residential world is, is going to be the basis for future public policy. So, um, you know, again, sensitivity, but just follow the, the traditional the traditional rules of how you would go about putting a tenant in default and evicting them. Yeah, Julie and I were talking about earlier, be very careful about it. So there's something we heard on a call, be very careful about what you put in writing because it's all could be subject to discovery in court. And as she was just saying, judges are human and it's very likely they'll be like, what, you were demanding this and there was a pandemic, you know, come on, really? So I thought that was a super interesting comment just be very professional but be very careful yeah everything everything that you write at this point could end up on a billboard is kind of how right. i i think about <laughs> it <laughs> great we have um two questions that came into the chat denise asked her past tenant clients are asking asking her help to renegotiate their lease such as asking for free rent rent reduction etc for those days they cannot open their shop, how should she handle that type of request? I mean, we're, that's something I'm seeing all the time from uh, people in my community. I think landlords, again, and, and you all could probably speak to this better than I could, are very willing to accept these types of, um, at least enter into negotiations about these types of things. Uh, what I'm seeing and uh, what I've heard others talk about is when you're asking for um, rent reduction or rent abatement, there's some sort of payback at the end for the landlord, whether or not a person reduces their rent for a certain period of time, three, six months, um, or stops paying the rent completely for three, six months. The landlord will then, at the end of that time period, add a, a slight increase onto their rent for a comparable period of time until they're fully recovered. They might extend their lease for a period of time at, at a step increase of rent at the end of it. Um, there are ways for the landlord to, to recover, and I think um, many landlords who don't wish to have an empty center or to have a vacancy in uh, this new economy, which is probably going to be very hard hit in terms of commercial real estate, are willing to work with their tenants. Great. And Bill had asked, um, go back over the part where you compared something to eminent domain. Sure. So this is, I think for you know, commercial real estate geek lawyers like myself, this is kind of a really interesting and fun area for us. Um, it's something called a temporary regulatory taking. So uh, where, uh, where a government has ordered a shelter in place type of situation, landlords or tenants may actually claim that the government has essentially taken or condemned a portion of their property 
um, the portion that is leased out to people who are no longer able to access it because of the shelter in place order. Um, it's not a, a tested argument. Um, and it really is a landlord argument, although ultimately the tenant could benefit from it. I think larger tenants will, will could ultimately benefit from it. Um, you, if you ever read an eminent domain clause, which I don't know why you would unless you're a commercial real estate attorney, it allows tenants to make a claim after, it's typically it will allow a tenant to make a claim after a landlord has succeeded in that claim. So there is a test that the court applies to determine whether something is actually a temporary regulatory taking. The test is based on a case that occurred about 60 years ago, and that case keeps getting challenged. It was challenged twice, three years ago, it made it all the way to the Supreme Court. The test is still valid, but it's been highly criticized. What the consensus seems to be right now is that this is going to be something that's going to be raised again and will probably work its way through the court systems, maybe to uh, the appellate courts or maybe even the Supreme Court, and a new test will be put in place. Um, I, think a, I, I think that if this does become the standard, uh, we're gonna see a, a government fund set up to, to deal with the, the fallout from all these shelter-in-place laws and there may be some government legislation before it gets to a Supreme Court challenge or even an appellate court challenge or circuit court challenge that will address the idea that landlords have suffered these regulatory takings. But if I were advising a landlord, I would say you need to go through the same process you would go through in arguing with a municipality or a state that an eminent domain has occurred. Great. Are there any other questions out there? Don't be afraid to unmute yourself. Yeah, just remember to unmute yourself. <laughs> hey, I'll say something. I, sorry, let me put on my video. Um, I was just going to add uh, to uh, some of the pitfalls you spoke about. Um, that another thing as these tenants, you know, consider going into default, you know, landlord can potentially ask for the TI dollars back, which would only dig a deeper hole for that tenant. So I know I, mean, I noticed you mentioned that, but that's something that obviously something to consider as you're talking to your tenants and giving them your client tenants and giving them advice on what to do. <clears throat> yeah, it's actually something that's come up a couple times with us with um, the TI dollars. Some landlords might be a little unwilling to, to do that depending on how they anticipate receiving the property at the end of the term. Um, you know, it, it, it really depends. One other thing that I might add, and this is probably most important, I don't know if anyone on here works in Pennsylvania, most important in Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania does have um, a lot of commercial leases with confessions of judgment. If you see a confession of judgment, you basically don't have to go through the judicial process. You're already put in default if you go into default. So that's something that um, you really have to advise tenant clients to look at before they consider not paying rent because they have much less wiggle room in terms of negotiation with the landlord. So Bill had asked a question, if he has a building that housed a restaurant and it failed and never reopened as a landlord, could he make a claim of temporary regular, 
regulation taking? If I make the case, where do I go for my compensation? I actually think a restaurant would be a tough claim to make because restaurants can still operate. They just can't serve people in-house. They can, they can operate for takeout. Um, I think, again, back to the examples of a movie theater or a, a yoga studio or any sort of commercial theater or any sort of health club, um, people wear, or you know, nail salons, uh, hair salons, places where people actually have to be to receive the service have the best and where the build-out would be extreme to retrofit it for another use, have the best opportunity to, to make that argument. I don't want to hang my hat too much on that argument because, as I said, it is untested, but I think it's an interesting theory that's beginning to bubble up. It's interesting. And Tommy just commented in here, um, you know, kudos to Dance Point, that he's finding that most local lenders are willing to work with the owners and enter into an interest-only period for three to six months and approved administratively. I think what we heard on one of our other calls is if your lenders, is, if you have a CMBS loan on your property, basically you're getting no response. <laughs> so it sort of depends <laughs> on the, the type of loan that is on your property, on the owner's property. Great. Any other questions? I know we're pretty much at the top of the hour. Super interesting. Super interesting. Hope everyone it really enjoyed. is. Um, Annie had said this is not about leasing, but one of her lenders mentioned that they read that CBC lost over $250 million in transactions because of the pandemic. Is that correct? And do you want to share? And that might be something, Dan, that we should go look into and maybe have a session separately or. Um, that, that's, uh, it, there's not, I mean, that's, that, that's not necessarily fact-based. Um, it just sounds like rumor to me, doesn't it? I mean, there, there's no, you know, we, we, first of all, as a public company, we would be very, uh, we wouldn't go out and, you know, whatever is disclosed would be disclosed publicly, but I, on a commercial side, at least, we've done no investigation of that whatsoever. Most of our markets are still transacting, just, you know, probably the thing that's suffering most that I hear, and this is a different topic, is simply getting new business is not necessarily happening now, but most of our commercial brokers are quite busy handling issues like this with their clients. I'll comment on that, Dan. Yeah, go right ahead there. Um, yeah, exactly what we're finding with our landlords a lot, that they're willing, more than willing to work with tenants, especially the good tenants, um, be, and doing such things as I had one that, yes, give them two-month reprieve, and they just put it on the end of the lease, and the, and the tenant was willing to do that. Uh, but there's a fear of these vacancies, yes, happening, these, these businesses not being able to recover, and they're not being somebody up in line to take that space because just as you said there's so many that they've re they have don't even have the resources to put down down payments or do renovations or anything so there is a there is that fear of this huge vacancy happening in the commercial market in the in the rent lease even office and retail uh which we do a lot of or i do a lot of so uh so they've been very getting creative trying to with these with these folks and work with them um is that, you know, they don't want to just counting on this recovering and those same businesses at least picking up 
but I think that, that some of that, some of those folks are going to need more than the landlords want to give. There's no question about it, to be able to survive. So it's at each individual situation, obviously. One of the um, other, you just reminded me when you're talking about retail, one of the other pitfalls that I don't see much anymore, but I used to see in the old days in 2009 when everything was happening is be aware of co-tenancy provisions. I mean, if you have a, a landlord that's, or a tenant rather, that's going to trigger a co-tenant situation and allow other tenants to walk, you, you're going to have to work with them more. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right, Christina, should we call it a wrap? Yeah, I think so. Thank you everyone for your participation. It always makes these virtual coffee breaks so much better when I can actually see your faces and feel like that we're sitting in a room together um, having this conversation. So thank you um, for that. And Julie, thank you so much for joining us. You provided some really great insight um, and answered a lot of questions that we've been hearing over the last couple of weeks on the tenant rep side. So thank you for that. And Dan, as always, thank you for your support and your insights because they're always valuable to this. Um, so as we mentioned, we will have another coffee break next week. Dan and I are working on an agenda for May um, that will include some CPAs to talk about tax changes, um, talk about different aspects of commercial real estate as it relates to the COVID-19 um, pandemic. So thank you everyone for joining us. We hope that you stay um, healthy and safe. We hope that you have a wonderful, restful weekend. I look forward to seeing you on our virtual session on Monday um, for some of our global conference topics. Travis Carson will be back with us to talk about resiliency in this business. I think it's going to be a really great topic and very timely for us. So we hope that you join us on Monday and we will definitely see you next Friday for our virtual coffee break. Thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks. Take care. Have a good weekend.